Okay, I think we are good. We're only recording it in uh, three devices and streaming it in two. So this is recording just to make sure we, we capture everything. So first of all, good morning from multiple places around the, the world. Uh, thank you for joining me for a weekly session about real estate investing. Uh, this session is for you, uh, for questions, for answers, for interaction, for communication. So feel free uh, to uh, ask questions related to the topic directly or indirectly. It's up to you. I'll try to answer uh, whichever. Of course, hopefully we'll keep it within uh, you know, real estate investing. And before we get uh, started with today's topic, I just want to make a small announcement. I'm probably going to announce it again towards the end. We are putting, we've put together our webinar series for the summer. So that means for the next two months or so, we're going to have every two weeks um, uh, a webinar session. A webinar session is different than this one. It's not going to be held on Facebook. It's going to be held on, a, on another platform. You got to register. Um, we have one about uh, coming up, I think the first one on how to analyze rental properties. We're going to talk about the concept and we're going to talk about the tool that we're using. So you're most welcome to join that. We're going to have one about how to get started and how to move a little bit faster and even, even faster than that. It kind of talks about basic real estate investing and fundamentals and ways to accelerate. Um, we're going to have one which is a little bit, um, a little bit, excuse me. Um, a little bit, uh, a little bit uh, more motivational, so to speak. It's going to be on um, what I call ingredients for success. Ingredients for success for me means let's put aside for a second the day-to-day nitty-gritty of you know rentals and flips and all of that, and just focus on those mental muscles that we should have and should employ based on my experience. Um, so that's more. Kind of setting you on the right path so that's coming up good morning alone good to see you my friend uh great to see you my friend of course uh so that's coming up and i think one more at the moment and we're lining up others so if you want to register the webinars are you know click the link go ahead and register some of them are for a minimal fee some of them are free and some of them for uh, minimal plus fee if you are one of our active investors meaning you've already been working with us you are exempt. This is one of the perks for you. So you just let us know and we will give you the discount code. And for the others, it's either free or minimally free. Nothing is too uh, horrific on your pocket, I promise. It's a different format. So don't expect it to be here. It's going to be PM webinar. I think I'm done with that session of announcing the webinars. So webinar is coming soon. Um, now, today we're going to talk about direct versus indirect ownership or, or investing altogether. So let's make a, let's define first, what is direct versus indirect, okay? When I, at least when I say so, when I, what I mean. Direct ownership is when you own the property directly, okay? Here's a single family home, for example, let's say in Tampa, here are you, you buy this house, right? Of course, we will help you to do that. We, that's what we do day in, day out, every day, you know, for the past uh, many, many years, I've been doing it since 2004, owner, house, help match, and good to go, right? Of course, there's more to it, but that's what I call direct. Indirect is where you invest in a fund and the fund holds multiple properties, okay? Direct, indirect. Now, 
I don't have the right, I cannot tell you which one is better and which one is worse. I think there's advantages and disadvantages for each one. And I want to clarify all those things. So for most of my career as someone who's leading investments and leading others and mentoring and helping, we focused on the direct ownership model. For years, the main reason I didn't want to shift to the indirect is because it's related mostly to financing. Okay. So why would you bother, assuming you're going to buy with financing, go through an indirect route when the, the, so when the direct route gives you financing and the indirect route for many years was no financing or challenging financing. So that didn't make any sense to me. So, uh, but in recent, what excites me, thank you, Yuval, I will answer it in a, in a minute. What excites me the most um, about the indirect is something that I have tried to do for many years for my investors. So for you, which is nothing wrong with it in my mind, I've been doing this for years, you're gonna have some noise in the system. Noise in the system comes with some financing, you know, noise, getting everything in order. And then is it vacant? Is it occupied? Is there, you know, repairs, miscommunication with the property manager, maybe even eviction, you know, uh, it happens every, you know, could happen, you know, once, who knows how long, seven, 10 years, uh, other issues related to ownership. I call it the noise of ownership. In my mind, I've learned over the years to not love the noise of ownership, but um, accept it. Why? Because I see the big picture. Even with all the little noise, when you buy correctly the way we've been buying, then you will have a relatively little amount of noise, right? It's not noise-free. And then you would be buying, you know, enjoying the, the fruits of this rental property or rentals for years to come. So that's for me, you know, has always been the method that we use. And I always told myself, how can I create a situation where my investors have headache free or somewhere between zero noise or practically zero noise, okay? Not have to deal with this situation. The way I, I think, the way I not think, the way um, we're going about it to eliminate some of that noise is by instead of you going and buying the property on your own, you're going to invest in a fund and the fund is going to own multiple properties, okay? Now, let's talk about some advantages and disadvantages of, of, uh, of both. Um, when you own directly, you're 100% in control, right? You own the property. If you want to sell it, buy it on Monday and sell it on Tuesday, it's entirely up to you, right? Regardless of the, the financial consequences. Um, you don't have to consult with anyone. Um, so th that's, the, I would say, the main disadvantage. The the uh, the um, um, whatever you know if you um, if you have a vacancy then you are experiencing in one property let's say you have only one your whole portfolio is one property and it's vacant then you have a hundred percent you know vacancy at the moment okay if you have multiple properties then you have maybe one out of four is vacant you have twenty five percent vacancy in your um, in your portfolio and I'm not talking about long term vacancy I'm just talking about routine you know tenants turnaround expenses, uh, um, re repairs, um, dealing with the, you know, with, with, the, with the property manager, all of those things, it's going to be 100% on you. Nothing wrong with it. It's just noise in our life, right? When you see the, the benefits, you understand why we want to do it, but that's 100%, you know, on you. In the fund concept, right, when there's a group purchase, then we are dealing with all that noise, right? So you are an investor, you're passive. On the direct, you're active, or relatively active. On this one, you're very passive. That means we deal with the day-to-day with the -day 
vacancies. Well, we're still going to have them, but we are going to worry about them. We are going to take care of those things. Um, you're never going to have actually, you know, 100% vacant at the time or a large percentage because you're always going to be a fraction of whatever vacant, uh, you know, um, situation it is, repairs, etc. So you are very passive. Um, you still own, you know, invest in real estate. They're probably still going to be some financing aspect you need to deal with because it's not completely, you know, uh, releasing you out of that, but it minimizes the, the, uh, the, the workload regarding financing. And you can actually benefit a more, a more um, quiet experience of owning real estate. However, remember, you're not 100% in control, right? If you want to buy on a Monday through a fund and sell on Tuesday, then um, you won't be able to do that that easily. You will have to go through some process maybe with us. You're actually not selling a property. You're selling out your interest in the group, you know, if you can, right? So that's something you have to understand regarding the, the group. I think the biggest disadvantage is that you are subject to the plan the group is, is doing. You have no say to minimal say. I don't want to say no say, but your say is very you know, uh, uh, minimalized. And, but you don't have to deal with the, with the um, you know, you don't have to deal with all the, the challenges, the issues, the noise that come up because we're going to deal with them, okay? So that's why we think the indirect is very attractive to begin with. Now, I have to interject current market conditions that are really making the indirect ownership, the group purchase, much more attractive than uh, the direct at the moment. See, what I'm seeing right now, I have many investors that are actively searching for properties, making offers, and having hard and difficult time, right? Some of them are even calling me up and say, Danny, what the heck is going on here? Like, I am serious. I am making offers. Nothing, you know, nothing sticks. What is going on? It sounds like a big excuse by either you or your teams on the ground. I mean, really, what's going on here? And what we're experiencing is a very hot or high demand market at the moment, okay? What does that mean? It means that it's a strong seller market, not every market around the country, but most good markets around the country, you know, behave as a seller's market. The seller's market looks like this, you know, high demand for housing, low inventory levels. Now, some of you may say, what are you talking about? You know, let's, uh, let's, let's explore, uh, um, you know, take a metro and use one of the websites and see how many properties available. I do a little search. Hey, there's like a thousand properties available, right? You, you got to be kidding. Well, if you look at it this way, you're absolutely right. But now let's look at it a little bit deeper. When you start filtering areas, prices, size, age, all of those, you will see that you very quickly minimize the, the relevant inventory level. Listen, if you don't care about what you're buying, you, you'll be okay. You'll be okay, I'll be honest, right? If you buy blindly and say, I'm gonna buy so many properties, you know, no problem. If you are care like us, where you're buying, what you're buying, age, and after filtering all the specifications, you still wanna make sure the property's cash flow is reasonable. I'm not saying amazing, I'm just saying reasonable, then you just eliminated you know, a bunch more. And then you're left with, from a th starting at a thousand properties maybe, all of a sudden you're down to maybe not even a hundred that are relevant, maybe 50. I'm not kidding, that's how much uh, you know, I've been trying myself to, to search and, and see what's available. So out of those 50, 
you quickly see that for some reason, half of them are easy, not relevant for that reason or another. Another few are not relevant for another reason or another. And then you end up with maybe, you know what, 10 or 15, even 20 that are relevant. Out of those 20, five are under contract, three are pending, whatever, then you get 10. And out of those 10, you submit offers on all 10, you may get one, maybe, right? Doable, but that just tells you what's going on out there. Very, very challenging market to buy. Very frustrating. I have investors that are saying, you know, sending me an email, maybe an hour after we received, the, you know, and, uh, some properties for one of the agents saying, hey, I wanted to buy two. An hour later, after getting, uh, after seeing the email from the agent, from your agent, the, all four on the list are no longer relevant. What are you kidding us? Is this kind of a game? Is this kind of a, are you cheating us? Are you just not care about us because we are not you're one of your big buyers? No, guys, not, not, not the case at all. Not at all. What's going on is the market is moving fast. Good properties in the marketplace are being bid over or multiple bids, not by investors necessarily, but by homeowners. We are investors. Let me tell you something. We are ta tailing the industry. This real estate single family or residential industry is not geared towards investors. Although there's a bunch of us, we are tailing the industry. It is geared towards homeowner. A homeowner that sees you know, a house that they like, they are willing to pay, assuming they can qualify, five, $10,000 more. You know, of course, I'm talking in the, the areas we, we work with, such as you know, Tennessee and Oklahoma and Texas, easily gonna offer five or $10,000 more because they like the house, they want to be there, the family is nearby, the schools are, you know, are nearby, whatever, and they're already being frustrated from the same experience. So that's something they're willing to do. Um, uh, and we investor, we say, okay, I like this house, but the numbers don't work. Pass, right? Very easily, pass. Uh, so that's where the challenges are. Now, this is the challenge and frustration that I see among many investors that are doing it the active way, which I fully understand, I fully support, that's what we've been doing for years. But we, myself, realized we need to develop another, another strategy here. And another strategy here would be, let's tackle the market from a different direction. Sell bulk. Here is a package of 20 properties in, in a good area, assuming it's a good area. Let's vet them. Let's make sure everything is fine. This seller, owns all properties, usually don't want to liquidate them one by one. They just want to say, hey, take all 20. Assuming all 20 makes sense to us, maybe one is, a, you know, few are very good and few are okay and few are not that amazing, but still pass the, you know, pass, our, uh, pass the, uh, uh, the acceptance, right? We buy them all. We hold them for a long period of time. We generate, we, we, we do the same thing with financing, right? We deal with the hustle. The headache of vacancies, repairs, management, all of those things, we take that burden off of you so you don't have to deal with it. And then, we, you know, you, we generate the cash flow. Every once in a while, every, you know, say, you know, six months or so, we release, you know, uh, um, you know accumulated funds toward the investors over, you know, from rent, right? So we always keep a reserve. And then you benefit from it, right? And you don't have to worry as much. You don't have to deal with it. Now, is it relevant for everybody to go this, this approach? Probably not. You got to be comfortable with the concept of, you know, not being 100% in control. I, you know, I can tell you a little story. I met with a group of four investors maybe two months ago. 
we were looking to buy a, you know, a building, you know, to, to flip, basically, to flip, sorry, to fix up and hold as a rental, right? So I'm meeting with those guys, and you can see in this group was one guy, which I know well, is a very nice guy, but he could not let go of the concept of control. And he said, you want me to, to put all my trust in you? You want me? I said, listen, this is not the way is right for you. You cannot let go, meaning let me handle it, right? You don't feel comfortable. It's completely okay. This approach won't work for us, right? It doesn't work for me. I don't want someone who is a control freak in my life telling me, you know, you know telling me all the time what to do, right? So I want the, my, the investors to be involved, but not to, to an extent that they feel that they have to manage things on their own. That's not going to work. He didn't like that concept, and I didn't like that concept because I could tell that's not up his personality. So this is not for you. But let me tell you who is this relevant for mainly. It's mainly relevant for investors who are starting out, saying, I don't know, I'm too concerned, I'm too afraid. What about vacancies? They have so many concerns. They want to uh, shift the, 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 the risk to a group, right? When they're part of the group, if one property out of 20 is vacant, okay, right? If, they're, you know, if they have to deal with some situation issue with the property manager, they're not too concerned about it because even if they're not experienced, someone who's experienced or knowledgeable is taking care of it, okay? So group number one is for the beginners who are a little bit concerned and don't feel comfortable. It kind of creates a group setting, a protection of the group. Of the group. Group number two are investors that are really frustrated but not being able to make offers and get you know, uh, properties accepted in today's market. Trying, trying, I have multiple of those. They keep trying, they keep trying, they keep trying, and they keep failing, okay? Not failing, but not succeeding in the sense offers don't stick. Group three is actually the big investors. Let me tell you another example. One of my longest time investors, a very good friend, owns multiple properties, right? This guy, for him to, to have, you know, he's owned many properties for many years, right? That's his second nature for him by now. For him to get another property, it's not a problem, right? He knows what to do. He's been through a lot. He's comfortable with the whole concept. But he told me, I already so owned so many. I have four kids. I have an executive position that requires a lot of my time and attention. You know what, Danny? For me to grab another property, because it adds a little bit more, not a lot, but just a little bit more of my time to, to deal with it, right? Even if it's only half an hour a month, that I still have to put that half an hour a month to find the time, it creates a burden. I'd rather stop, let you deal with it. Because I don't want to take more properties on me because I am so busy between my big family, my executive position, and the properties that I already manage, right? That I already managed. Manage being, he puts somewhere between, I would say, two hours a week. That would be my guess. Maybe three hours a week on taking care of his large portfolio, right? So, so it's not a lot of time, but he has multiple properties. Maybe he's not putting three hours, maybe two hours. doesn't matter. You get the point. So that's what I'm trying to say. This is me, you know, uh, um, maybe more relevant for even those who ex are experienced and have large portfolio and want to find another way how to go about it. By the way, when we tackle bulk, <clears throat> many times what I see, we can actually get them at a lower price because we have a bulk discount. Just because a seller wants to um, 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 sell a bunch of properties doesn't mean we're going to pay exactly what they're, uh, what they're asking for. So we will evaluate the properties and we say, you know what, you're asking for so much. 
Um, obviously, your portfolio has, has been sitting on the market for quite some time. Okay, we're willing to offer you so and so much and so much, and we're going to try, try and make a better deal for all of us. Just because someone is asking for someone for something doesn't mean um, they're going to get it, obviously. But remember, the bulk seller really looks at the, at the offer as a whole. What's your due diligence? What's your financing type? How long are you going to close? All of those things matters to them and not just the price. The price is a part of it, obviously. So which one is right and which one is wrong? The simple answer is there is not a right or correct answer here. You can, you can, further, you can do both. You can say, I will do both avenues, right? Because it makes sense to me. But it's more about what is relevant for you as an investor. Which one is more relevant for you as an investor? Um, um, you can do both. You can focus on one. You can start with one direct and shift over to the indirect, the fund, or, or vice versa. You just have to find what's your comfort zone, what's your fears, what's your concerns, what's holding you back. Um, holding back doesn't have to be fear or concern. Holding back can be, listen, I'm making offers and nothing sticks. That's a holdback, right? All of those things are relevant for us to ask ourselves which one I should choose. Now, if you're clearly not comfortable with letting go of the control aspect, then obviously the, the, the indirect is not for you, right? The direct is the one for you. But if you're willing to, uh, to, uh, to let go of the control aspect of it and be part of the group and see the benefits, then you can definitely consider that. So... I was, uh, you know, if you're hoping for a right, you know, like the, the conclusive or very uh, a refined answer, there is none, right? I'm just wanted, I wanted to present those challenges of each one and what's the benefits or disadvantages and advantages of each aspect. You got to ask yourself which one is right for you. You can do both. You can do one. You can start with one and switch and so on. Okay. So I hope that uh, that helps with the with the with the, with the whole concept and maybe a little bit better understanding of the whole concept of direct and indirect ownership. Now, before we move forward, because I see we already have questions, which is uh, great. And you know what? I want to congratulate the two Yuval uh, Nir that are almost here, I think, every week and always with questions. So, guys, thank you for that. I really appreciate it. And uh, the, the, um, you guys being every week and asking questions, that's what we do it for. So you are exactly uh, – maybe we should move to a private session, just the three of us. Just kidding. Before I take questions, um, I want to say again, because some people joined a little bit later, we are having multiple webinar series this summer, right? Probably every two weeks or so, we have uh, four webinars set up. I'm putting the link to the webinars right now. You can register. The webinars are not on the live Facebook. They're going to be online on a different platform. So you got to register in order to participate. Uh, we have one in Hebrew. Uh, just for the Hebrew speakers, uh, we have one on analyzing, we have one on fundamentals and moving faster, um, and we have one more motivational about ingredients for success. Some of them are free, some of them for a very minimal fee, so nothing too horrific for you to, uh, to be concerned about. I mean, you're not going to break the bank. Um, if you are one of our active investors, meaning you are being actively investing with us, really investing, not just participating on events, then you are, let us know, and we will give you, uh, you know, free access, obviously, for the, um, for the one that cost, uh, that cost a little bit, and obviously free access to the one that are free. 
With that said, I'm going to start with the questions. I see they're coming in. First question from Yuval. Thank you, Yuval. Can you do 1031 exchange with indirect owning? Um, you know, it's a good question. I think you can. I'm not sure to tell you right off the top. So if that's something that's relevant for you, we can research further to be sure. Uh, but I don't want to say that I'm 100% confident you can do that. Possibly, yes. Um, is indirect kind of a, like a REIT? What is the difference? Yes, in a way. A REIT is, is a publicly, usually a REIT. Uh, REIT has a, a other guidelines. Um, when you, uh, you know, a REIT, I think they need to distribute 90% of the profit or, or something like that. Don't remember. So they're very clear guidelines. What is a REIT? But the concept, I think when you're asking on a REIT, yes, it's a similar concept in mind. Uh, there, there's just different, maybe different nuances. If you call, will be similar, okay? Will be similar. The reason we are, we're gonna be able to get them similar is because we are trying to, when we buy, we try to be more aggressive with the, with the pricing, okay? So you're probably gonna end up with similar, you know, similar numbers. Um, you know, if I, yeah, that's what I, I think. Um, I'm just trying to think out loud. I have not compared one to the other, but just the analysis we did on one right now, the uh, ROI is, is similar. So cash on cash, I think the cash on cash will be a little lower on the indirect than you can probably get on the, um, uh, on the direct, but I can't say for sure. Listen, this is the same asset, right? If you really, for a second, strip everything out it's the same asset. They behave differently. Like, are we buying, are you buying, let's just simplify, 10 rental properties by yourself, or are you going to be buying 10 rental properties as part of a fund, right? So it's the same concept, same asset. The only difference is shifting the, the noise aspect of it. And there is a fee. Obviously, there is a fee for shifting that noise. So you're probably going to have, maybe numbers-wise, the direct will be a little bit better, but what comes with more noise in your life that those are the differences but the way to offset the fact that there are going to be more costs involved with the indirect is the fact that we're able to tackle properties you know probably cheaper relevant relatively properties cheaper being not cheaper by by the fact that they're cheaper cheaper by the fact that we get a bold discount a bold discount goes a long way right a seller uh, you know that owns multiple properties is motivated in a different way than one homeowner completely different in no motivation um, good question. How many offers in average are rejected for your clients? I don't have the statistics, but a lot, many. Well, I don't say many. I would say right now, my guess, you probably need to put seven to eight offers to get an acceptance. Okay. To get an acceptance, maybe even seven to nine. Okay. That'll be my guess. This is across the U S specifically by the first-time home buyers. Colorado have been the same problem. Okay, it's, it's the same problem in most real estate markets around now. You see the same pattern. A lot of people who operate in one market think, oh, this market is crazy. Yes, it is. But also the other market and the other market and the other market, you know, many of them, not all of them, but many of them are, you know, somewhat crazy. Control is a big concern for you, but what are the financial drawbacks of a fund? What are the financial drawbacks of a fund? I'm not sure I understand what the financial drawbacks of a of fund. Um, maybe explain the term financial drawbacks to me so I can understand what you mean. 
Um, do you have to qualify as an accredited investor? You have to qualify in order to participate. Um, you can, you know, if you're accredited, that's easy. There are other ways to qualify um, in order to participate. So absolutely, you need to qualify. We have a questionnaire you need to complete and you, and you have to complete it as good as you can. I'm talking about qualification for the fund, for the indirect, for the group purchase. You got to qualify. Qualification is completing the form. The form you have to do your best to complete it as accurately as possible. We cannot help you with completing the form. We're not allowed, so you got to do it on your own. And then based on if you're an accredited, that's easy. If you're not accredited, there's some exemptions that we can evaluate. And if you're not meeting these exemptions, you cannot participate. So it's not open for everybody. Absolutely. So you buy the bulk and we buy from you? No. If you invest in the fund, the fund purchased a bulk of properties and holds it. And you are now a member in, that have interest in this group or fund, and you are not an owner of that one of those properties. You are a member in the fund. The fund owns, let's say, 20 properties, and you are have interest in that fund. Okay, so there is no, uh, we are not buying and selling, you know, them to, if we do that, there's not going to be any uh, uh, profit to be made for us or we or, or to you because the, the cost of buying selling would be so so high it will not make it you know those are not we're not buying properties that are worth 150,000 for 50,000 each we're buying maybe 150,000 that we're buying it maybe for 130 okay or so so not enough you know margin you know for for us to do this maneuver for either us to make money or for you to make money either we make money and you don't or we don't and, and you do so that just doesn't make sense and that's a lot of effort with syndications you cannot do 1031 exchange i checked i'm not sure what is the structure of the fund that you are raising think about it this llc you contribute you know you invest in the llc as a member the llc owns the properties that's it why should i invest in a non Tradable part of a fund, of a fund, and not, and not, but a part of a rate that is traded. You do your own thing. You know, there's, uh, there's, there are multiple ways to go about it. You can, you know, when you're in a REIT, they have their own different, you know, ways to go about it. It's buying a stock. REIT is like buying a stock. Here, there's a, you know, we go about things a little bit differently. We find a different, usually different asset class than a REIT, you, you should definitely, if that makes sense to you, you can say, hey, I, for me, maybe just buy a stock in a REIT, a REIT stock. Absolutely. It's just another avenue. No, no difference. So Nir is asking, buying in a bulk is through you. How is it breaks down? I don't understand the question here. So uh, maybe, or maybe I already answered uh, how I go about it. Link to the form, link to the form. I will uh, put it after, no problem. Yes, there are other taxes considerations but it's not that differently as you own uh, as you own uh, um, um, the, uh, it's all about how they who reports on the taxes when you own an LLC 
you can do the corp on a corporate level, you know, the taxation, and you can also shift the the taxation to the uh, to the individual. So there's several ways how to go about it. Okay, good, excellent questions. Um, I'm gonna wait for a second uh, to see if uh, oh, I see another one. As an investor, how is the partnership breaks down as a percentage of invested? Yep. So you will have interest or memberships uh, interest in an LLC based on your contribution. Okay. So uh, while I'm waiting for more uh, questions, let's just uh, sum up uh, this session. We were talking about direct ownership versus indirect ownership, right? Direct ownership, you buy the house by yourself or houses, and we can help you do that, you know, no problem. In an indirect ownership, um, indirect ownership, we will, uh, um, we will, uh, you purchase into a fund, you invest in a fund, an LLC, an entity, and the entity buys the property, right? There are advantages and disadvantages for each one, no doubt, right? You got to decide by yourself what makes more sense to you and follow that. This is not a competition. You can do both or you can do one and you can switch. No problem there. We just wanted to bring your awareness to that option because a lot of investors are either frustrated with the hustle and the noise, frustrated with, the, with uh, not being able to... Uh, um, 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 making offers and getting accepted. Houses are you know, expensive out there. A way to tackle today's market, today's buying environment, is actually to find another way to go about it. This is one of those ways, right? So instead of going after a property one by one by one, we want to go as a bulk and go to bulk sellers and maybe you know, negotiate a better deal for us you know, when we buy the property. So obviously there are consequences or disadvantages and advantages to each approach. Now that you understand the two approaches, direct and indirect, you got to ask yourself what makes more sense. If you're not sure and you want to kind of discuss this with us, let us know. We'll be happy to do it and maybe help you um, uh, figure it out. We are able, to, we are executing both avenues. Those are parallel avenues. A lot of our investors are and will continue buying directly. Some are going to shift over and start buying with us indirectly for whatever reasons, right? So keep that in mind um, when you are trying to determine how to go about investing. Uh, I see that there's more uh, questions coming. Uh, how is the profit breakdown among investors? When we get to the point that you invest in, in, the, in the fund, if that's relevant, you got to go through the qualification first. We will discuss the profit because it's, um, uh, you know, it's a little bit complicated. There's something up front and something on the, on the back and something in. By the way... I totally agree that there are there is much less competition in the commercial real estate market. Okay, um, is your experience in your experience does duplicates have the same competition and uh, and sellers market scenarios that you describe as for single family owned? Um, generally speaking, yes, it's a very uh, local market kind of a behavior. The multiplexes, so. Um, uh, it's not uh, necessarily behaves the same in every market. Uh, just also remember that the type of single-family homes you see that we, you know, usually purchase 
is a much higher quality than the neighborhood, even across the street, that is like X-plexes. I'm not talking about duplexes, but three-plexes, four-plexes. So, uh, so just make sure, um, it, you know, it's not always correct to, um, to, uh, to compare them apples to apples because I can go to an area and even if the market is less competitive on three-plexes, four-plexes, that doesn't mean I'm going to want to buy there because typically what you see, in, and remember, you have to take some of the high, you know, uh, expensive markets around the country, such as the San Francisco Bay Area, maybe parts of LA where the X-plexes are, you know, the cheaper, more available uh, middle class or upper middle class home. But if you go around the country, you will see here is a community of single family homes, a nice community, right? Good schools, nice houses, very, you know, kind of, you know, boring suburbs, which we love. And not far from it, there is a community, which the same schools, but because it's X-plexes, many times there are different uh, uh, spec and they attract a different, you know, not as strong financially tenants and, and they look and behave a little bit differently. So in generally, yeah, that could work. Uh, that doesn't mean we, want, we necessarily want to go after them, uh, just to keep that in mind. It's not the same asset class. Let's just put it this way. Very good. Thank you for your uh, questions. Uh, I see, uh, you know, from all the participants, mainly two. So I really appreciate you guys uh, putting the questions. If you are on the recording watching this, put a comment, put a like, you know, contact us, no problem. Very good. So thank you, everyone. Have a terrific weekend. And I hope to hear and talk to you soon. And remember, webinars coming up uh, almost every two weeks. We have a different webinar. Go to the website, check the website, and register. Hope to see you soon, either here, next week, or on one of the webinars, or in a more intimate environment. Bye-bye, everyone. Have a good weekend. Thank you.